We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Wide receivers and tight end time on Road of His Overtime. That's what we're jumping into today with Pat Corrine. We never can get enough wide receiver talk. We can never get enough Pat Corrine here on Road of His OT. And we are ready to go once again. Sean, we had Pat on with us. Obviously, we talked through some running backs earlier this week. I know we're excited today to jump into wide receivers and tight ends. How are you ahead of this one? Well, I mean, Pat just got me super fired up for the running backs again after we went through that. So now I've got to get him in. We mentioned on the last show, got me fired up for Will Levis. So now his task is to get us fired up for small receivers. Can I mean, that could be a little bit trickier. But our our question here in 2023 is, can all these tiny guys that the NFL is supposedly going to draft in the first round, can they come out and deliver for us in fantasy Pat, it's awesome to have you back. You mentioned last week that the kind of headliners for your articles, that their blurbs are above the paywall and that there's a ton of content above the paywall. And one of those was about Zay Flowers being a potential small first round pick. And so you and I talked about receivers a lot last week, but we didn't really get into this comparison if there is one between Jordan Addison and Zay Flowers, really pretty different profiles at least to my mind, but they're connected by where they could go in the draft competing with each other for the early spots. And then neither of these guys is a big receiver. Yeah, they're both small. Um, I think they are similar in the sense that if you look at like how the NFL is going to deploy them, I think you'll see some slot usage and some outside usage, and they both showed an ability to win downfield. Uh, And, from the outside, which I think is absolutely crucial for really any prospect. You want them to be able to play outside enough so that they're not leaving the field uh, at any point. So that they're running, you know, they have 90, 95% route participation as opposed to like 70% if you're kind of a true slot receiver. Uh, So, or even like 65% on some teams. So that I think is, is really important. And then obviously to be able to win downfield creates the potential for big plays. I think both receivers are probably more kind of intermediate types. Um, not going to be like true, true deep threats, but 
they did show an ability to win downfield, you know, 10 plus yards. Uh, and so I think they are somewhat similar in that respect. They are quite different in terms of like the analytical profiles where Addison was this, you know, early declare, highly productive, you know, breakout season type of guy. He really has everything we're looking for other than he's 173 pounds. Uh, I don't want to get like too, too concerned about that. I do feel like it is definitely a bit of a knock on his upside. Like I personally think if Devontae Smith was 200 pounds, he would be scoring more fantasy points. You know, it's not that he's bad because he's small. It's that, you know, I, but I do think that he would be better <laughs> if he was a little bigger, you know, the NFL's move towards like maybe you don't need to be 220 or maybe even being 220 isn't helpful and it's better to be around 200 like, you know, Justin Jefferson, Jamar Chase. But uh, I do think that there's a, a point at which size starts to kind of inhibit what you can do a bit. And Addison certainly is is kind of below whatever threshold you use to start getting a, a little bit concerned. And, and Zay Flowers is, you know, a little bit bigger, you know. They're, while they're both small, I think Flowers is you know got enough of a of a difference to where because uh, he's above 180, where maybe you're not quite as worried about it. So I, I think it's like how much are you worried about Jordan Addison's size, and how much are you worried about um, you know factoring upside with these receivers? Because that's really it's like well maybe Addison he's going to be kind of a career one B, you know even if he hits. And it's that bother you a ton or you're like, if I basically get like Emmanuel Sanders, uh, it's a, that's a home run. So uh, for me, I kind of actually go with with the idea of like, I'm not going to get too worried about it, even though I do think his upside is probably going to be impacted by his size a bit. I'm trying not to be too worried about it. I have him ahead of Quentin Johnston as my wide receiver, too. Uh, so I'm still pretty in on Addison. Flowers, I'm more in on than I think I would normally be as like a as a four-year prospect who wasn't off the charts productive and is a bit small. I, I kind of like his profile, like some of the peripheral stuff of his profile. Um, so I'm kind of like more in the normal, but I'm not like super in on him uh, relative to some others, I think. Do you have some player comps that either create additional concerns or relieve some of the concerns for these guys? I mean, you mentioned obviously that they're going to comp to some smaller guys if if the comp emphasizes that element of it. Yeah, so for Zay Flowers, um, he comped to Corey Coleman, which is obviously a terrible comp that no one ever wants to see. Uh, he comped to Will Fuller. I think he's probably more intermediate than Fuller was, but Fuller or but but Zay Flowers was actually quite good downfield, like deep downfield in college. I think he's seen as more of kind of a, a route runner uh, type intermediate threat in the NFL. But that was interesting. And then two interesting comps for him that came up with Kendall Wright. And Michael Floyd, Floyd quite a bit bigger, but both of those guys were uh, four-year players who were pretty highly drafted. And that's kind of like the thing with, say, Flowers is that like both those guys were like busts, but they both actually were productive early in their careers. And so I think that's like where I tend to fall with Zay Flowers is that I don't love the idea of drafting Zay Flowers in Dynasty and then holding him for three years and feeling like, oh, he's going to be this massive win for me. But I don't mind the idea of drafting him, banking on him to get a lot of targets as a rookie, and then trying to move off him. That's sometimes harder than it sounds. You know, it's easy to say, oh, I'll trade him after his price goes up, and I won't be suckered in. And sometimes, you know, you don't do that. 
you're like, I've got to, this guy's the best receiver you could get in the whole class. Uh, so then you don't trade him and then you, then you eat it when he, when he drops in value. But I think, you know, that does strike me as a viable path. And then also in best ball, I don't want to just be out on him if I uh, don't love his overall profile because NFL teams seem to really like him. He seems like the type of guy who's going to be able to get on the field right away and earn targets. So I, I kind of like him in best ball uh, where he's priced. He's generally priced to like a, with a little bit of a gap between uh, Addison, Quentin Johnston and flowers. And that might dry up after the draft, depending on when he gets drafted. Um, so yeah, I kind of like him as the immediate production bet. The guys for Addison were Marquise Brown, Devonte Smith, Jalen Waddle and Calvin Ridley. So his comps were actually That's a pretty good list. Yeah, they were really strong. Um, now he's not as fast as Waddle, and he's probably not as fast as Marquise Brown. So it maybe is like a little optimistic those those lists because I you know you don't have uh, we never got forty times for Brown and Waddle and stuff. So the athleticism component might be kind of tricking us, tricking me in, in putting them in the comp list like this. But um, but you know Devontae Smith is the guy who a lot of people compare him to, and I think that's you know a fairly I don't know that it'll be quite as good as Smith, but I think that's like a reasonable type of like archetype comp. And one of your recent articles, you discussed Marvin Mims and Cedric Tillman emerging as priority flyers at this particular point. Uh, listeners, especially when we're doing our draft show, Sean are probably tired of us raving about Mims at this point. But what what's your thoughts, I guess, on the the two of those guys and, and what's the thesis for, for Tillman here in the NFL? Well, if I wrote this uh, article like, three days later, it might've been about Jonathan Mingo because he seems to be, I think there's just like a real thirst among at least NFL draft evaluators. We'll see if this translates to the teams, but usually they're kind of hearing from the teams when they put out mock drafts and stuff, they're usually pretty plugged in. And Mingo has, has gotten a ton of traction recently. Tillman was um, ranked uh, in Lance Zerline. One of Lance Zerline's mock, he had, he had him going, 31st, you know, at the very end of the first round. Um, and I think that's largely because both Mingo and Tillman are like the only big wide receivers in this class. And, you know, Quentin Johnson, I guess, is a big wide receiver, but he's more of kind of a yards after catch explosive playmaker bet, like a downfield receiver who can add after the catch. He wasn't much of a contested catch guy. Um, and so, if you're like looking for like the big X guy who you just chuck the ball up to Cedric Tillman is like a really, he nicely fits that, that mold. Now he also didn't do anything for the first three years of his, of his college career. And then he had a good fourth season and then he got passed by a true junior in his fifth year redshirt senior season, which is like, I don't know about it as bad as big as, as red flags get. So, you know, that's definitely a major concern to me. Uh, but he's super athletic, you know, four five four forty, so not uh, the fastest guy in the world. But he's six three two thirteen, thirty seven inch vertical, one hundred twenty inch broad jump, and he plays big. You know, contested catch type of dude, uh, huge hands. You know, so I think he and again, I think Mingo is probably in this mix too. It's like, what if he's the guy who gets drafted in the early second round? Um, I mean, if you're getting him in the twentieth round of best ball drafts. That's that's a huge huge win for you. So I think um, he is definitely someone to be to to have on your radar. I think Mims is a lot more exciting in terms of the overall profile. But if we're just going to like make bets on draft position, which we will do after the draft. You know that's how we end up 
<laughs> we, once we have the draft position and we know it for sure, it changes ADP considerably. Tillman and Mingo, I think, are pretty good bets to to be like, you know, early day two picks. So you mentioned Mingo, and he may be the player that fits into this, but are there any other kind of bigger wide receivers that you're excited about in this class? And is Rasheed Rice potentially somebody who has some excitement, or are you a little bit further down on him? Uh, yeah, I'm not as, as high on Rasheed Rice. Um, Mingo, I think, is just more interesting because we're looking at the the draft capital and he's super athletic as well. He also has giant hands and, you know, kind of a guy who plays like a big receiver. So he's going to fit that mold. Rice was, he's kind of a gadget player to begin his career. Um, and he, you know, I think he, he strikes me as the type of guy who's like, looks like probably a fairly productive, like wide receiver three on an NFL team is how he looked to me, but he did have an elite 10 yard split. He's very explosive. Uh, you know, kind of dangerous acceleration is his his type of game. And so maybe he gets, maybe he's kind of Zay Jonesy or something. Like he gets used on screens underneath a bit, but he's also, uh, you know, he's not a small receiver. He's, he's six foot 204. So he just, nothing about his profile really jumped out to me in like a, a super interesting way. Sean, are you, are you kind of high on him? Well, I, the guys who are fun always have some appeal but it just it it seems like we're getting a sort of a further and it's not to say i I always want to bet on the guys who are productive but then with rice you have the questions of age and and those types of things as well where you're mostly looking at one season which is a massive red flag but then the other element here is i mean it seems like we're getting worse actually in terms of the gap between these guys, maybe even some guys who aren't as productive, but if they've played against elite competition versus some of the players who are racking up numbers, when it's, I mean, it's almost a completely apples to oranges kind of thing. Now, I mean, again, if the guy has unreal peripherals, unbelievable athleticism, that's different, but it doesn't necessarily sound like Rice gets to that level. No, I mean, you know, he's four, five, 140. He's, he accelerates well and he's his jumps were awesome. So he looks like kind of a burst type of dude, but I don't think he's going to be like an incredible downfield threat. I think maybe kind of more like a man, he's really fun on screen passes and underneath stuff is how he jumps out to me. And he's big enough to where, you know, he's not just kind of a a tiny guy. Like he could he could mix that into like an overall type of classic wide receiver profile. So he's definitely like, you know, I had him as a third round rookie pick. I think he's definitely in this in the sleeper mix. It's just this this class, like once you get past basically Marvin Mims, it's like you're it, these are pretty thin bets. Like even Tillman is a thin bet. Like I, as I said, like he didn't do anything until his fourth college season. His last season was a disaster. Like it's basically I'm just betting on he's big, he moves well, and the NFL drafted him high. You know, we're like getting quickly to that type of bet. He's, I mean, he's just been zigzagging up and down my rankings because you're like, oh, maybe in the first round and he's big. And then you're like, I mean, he's not good. I mean, how early are you going to draft somebody who's not good? I know, but it's like, is he Kelvin Benjamin? Is he, is he our generation's Kelvin Benjamin? You know, it's like, he wasn't good either, but you know, uh, he he had a pretty productive rookie year uh, because he got drafted right in the first round. (laughs) Benjamin, I... 
Matthew Friedman and I had more discussions about Benjamin than maybe any other player. I the the issue with Benjamin was that all the other receivers had finished their forty, and he's trying to get his ten yard split. In. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's that's something of a problem there. You mentioned Mingo. He's uh, he jumps into that sort of freak score area where it just raises all of these images of a DJ chart kind of guy, a Chase Claypool kind of guy. Obviously, we got different years in terms of the breakout. With Claypool, you get that amazing TD run very early, and that would have played right away in best ball, for example. With Chark, you get kind of this out-of-nowhere second season, and then you know, perhaps injuries, perhaps Jaguars, <laughs> you know, those types of things derail what seemed like was going to be a pretty fun career there. I mean, is Mingo another one of these? I mean, he seems like if he fell in drafts, then you're going to – as soon as you get out of the clear guys, you want to add as many players with some type of trait that is just off the charts, whether that's production that people aren't giving credit for or just being the best athlete. If he's drafted as early now as it seems like with what you're saying, then the price doesn't work in. Uh, but it's, uh, he, I love the note about the with Flowers. I think if you get stuck with him as the guy who's still there in a rookie draft – and you don't like anybody as opposed to taking a bad player or if you can't move down because sometimes your league mates just won't let you move down then you take him you get the value you move off of him is mingo a, a similar type of guy in that i mean at some point he's going to generate some buzz right and then if you have you just kind of once you have the player on your team then everything about him changes and you're like this is guy's going to be calvin johnson but is he a draft to get back off of type of player See, I think he could be like, whereas Flowers, you know, one reason I feel fairly confident in Flowers is that the route running stuff, it seems to be what's pushing him up into the first round conversation. Like if if it was, if he was getting there because of elite speed, I would be much more concerned with Zay Flowers because like, is he Philip Dorsett? You know, is he basically like, does he have a game that even works in the NFL or, or the evaluator is just like really psyched about his 40 time? Um, but with flowers, I do think he, he has that kind of game. I think he's going to be productive. I think he's going to have a traditional probably Z wide receiver role moves into the slot some as well, but plays a lot of snaps as a rookie. Mingo strikes me as like, he could be, you know, miles Boykin or something like he could, it could just never happen. He could be JJ Ortega Whiteside. You know, he could be, um, you know, any of these guys who, uh, I've actually now forgotten Denzel Mims is where I was going. I, I literally forgot Denzel Mims name for a second because that's how bad that went. You know, there's lots of these guys who are like, he's so big. He's so fast. He's just who we need. And then, you know, they get out there and it's like, oh, yeah, would have been. Maybe we should have paid attention to what he did in college. It just takes <laughs> one practice. <laughs> yeah. We're done. Yeah. So I think Mingo, to me, Mingo's not a kind of guy where you're like, oh, I'll draft him. He'll be so productive as a rookie, you know, that that where the bar is actually pretty low for what counts as productive. And then I'll be able to move off him. I think he's the kind of guy where, like, you draft him maybe now for free in a best ball draft. And now your bar is two touchdowns in one week in the fantasy playoffs. And this is a smash. That's your bet. And, you know, at 220 pounds, 6'2", with a 4'4", 4'4", 6'40", elite 10-yard split jumps almost 40 inches like 
yeah, that seems plausible to me. Like I'm basically betting he has one good week at the end of his rookie season and the, and the cost is, is free. That, that feels good. And also, you know, he's the type of guy who's probably not getting drafted in a ton of leagues. So you're getting him, you're able to mix him in. And if he does go off, it's going to help your team way, way more than the field. Cause he's not going to be very owned in the field. So I think, and, and if you're doing pre draft rookie drafts, then I would also be targeting Mingo and those because I want him cheap and I want Cedric Tillman cheap. I think as soon as the price rises on these guys and we have to bet on them like they were productive players in college, I start to get very nervous. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You mentioned that the thesis for a lot of these guys is pretty thin. I think that also makes a pretty strong argument for go ahead and, and getting the guys like Addison and Johnston and Flowers and then maybe even Downs and Mims if you're in a little bit of a lull over maybe a Charbonnet, again, depending on how your draft plays out because you're going to want to take a lot of shots, I think, on the running backs we discussed in the previous show once you get deeper into these rookie drafts. But somebody that is a little bit interesting, and I wish he were just a tad bit more interesting, and this was kind of, it seemed like the way that you were conceptualizing it or positioning it in your article on him or the blurb within the article, Xavier Hutchinson. Is he someone who maybe doesn't have quite the athleticism of the trendy guys, but does have enough additional production that he could be the guy instead. Yeah. He's kind of interesting because he was a, a two year player. Um, he, he, it was a Juco transfer. And so he's kind of old, uh, turns 23 in June. And he's like, he seemed like a bit raw as far as the numbers. Um, so, you know, it's like, is he really going to develop, you know, his route running ability at 23? But, you know, he was impressively productive. Now he, some, you know, some of these stuff that I do, like you can kind of cheat by going to Juco for two years. Cause it's like that I have no production. And then I get the production I do get is the two years that you were older. Right. So it's not like, you know, you, you mixed in for few games in your freshman and sophomore season which would which would lower these guys numbers but but that's the type of profile we saw from Brandon Ayuk you know and he I think maybe the fact that you were so off the radar you were able to get on the radar you were able to be productive you know you kind of a, this diamond in the rough type of profile so 
I, I agree with your assessment. I, I think he's pretty interesting. I wish he was like a little more interesting. Uh, four, five, three, 40, but a really good 10 yard split. His jumps weren't great. Um, he also dealt with a lot of contested deep targets. Um, and then he wasn't very good in those situations. Um, and then he only had 17% of his yards coming on 20 plus targets. So there's a couple different data points to suggest maybe he's not going to be that good deep down the field. And one of those data points would be the fact that he's not really that fast with a four, five, three. So it's then it's okay. Can he do his damage at the intermediate level? And that's where I start to worry like, okay, we're talking about a 23 year old who's not really seen as this elite route runner. I prefer, you know, if I'm like, Hey, yeah, he runs just go routes, but he runs them super well, you know, and he's super fast, you know, that'd be, that'd be like a little bit easier to kind of see how it happens. But, uh, it just seems like a little bit of a thinner bet to me, given that he's probably going to have to be like a, like a very traditional type of wide receiver. And it's a highly skill based position. I think he's flashed some pretty interesting skills, but not, uh, but you know, he's certainly got plenty of red flags as well. Moving into the tight end position now. And first question, I guess is Meyer and Kincaid. Are they the top two options here clearly for you at the tight end position? I haven't been quite as excited about Kincaid as some others. I mean, Sean seems like he's barely more excited about Kincaid than I am. So I think he's almost in the Sam Howell 100% roster ship. No, yeah, no, 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 no. Kincaid, we're, we're, we've drafted him in a lot Sam of drafts Howell, this year. Still 100%. Still check 100%, out, even check after out, all the things I said last episode? Out, you're still well, it's never great when. We can't get above 100%. And the incentives for your coaching staff massively collide. So, Washington, thumbs up on that. (laughs) Don Kincaid, going to have some production here, but but not 100%. Pat, you're not not quite as, as in on him. Uh, yeah, I, I've struggled like a little bit. I think this could be like a leak where I, I probably should be more in on him because I'm, to me, I'm like I like Michael Mayer the best, and then I feel like everybody's kind of in the same group, and that includes Darnell Washington. Over time, I feel like it's separated a little bit where I feel like it's Kincaid Washington, and then for me Laporta in this group behind Mayer. and Washington and Laporta are always available in the final rounds of these drafts, and you have to prioritize Kincaid. And I have not really made the effort to prioritize Kincaid, which means I have less of them. But Kincaid, I do think, is a pretty interesting uh, prospect. One thing for me is that he he wasn't able to work out with this back injury. He has been medically cleared. He's like fully recovered from the back injury. It's not a concern. It shouldn't affect his draft position. He'll probably go in the first round. But I'd love to know that he's like really athletic. You know, I think that that athleticism matters at the tight end position. I know Darnell Washington is like crazy athletic, maybe more his athleticism is like a blocker because he actually doesn't jump very high. You know, his athleticism and the overall profile, the concern is that basically he's kind of a Mo Alley Cox type where he's out there a lot, but he doesn't do a ton as a receiver. Sam Laporta, though, was very athletic and he's got this yards after catch profile that I um, am pretty excited by. So. My, I think part of the struggle with with Kincaid for me is that I'm just having trouble getting a lot more excited about him than you know a guy like Laporta, where I feel like you know Kincaid kind of wins downfield in in some nice ways. He's kind of a like a like a move uh, type of tight end, kind of winning out of the slot that type of guy. Laporta 
is more kind of an underneath guy, but he he was doing a lot after the catch, which is pretty exciting. And so I just haven't had as much uh, excitement in terms of putting Kincaid above those two other guys. And one reason to be excited would be because of the draft capital. But draft capital is something that I actually pay less attention to at tight end than at wide receiver. Uh, it's it's more like running back to me, I think, where you know you can see guys like Kittle kind of come out of the later rounds. Yeah, I think I would agree with you on that as well. We have seen some more, I think, NFL-ready tight ends come out in recent drafts, but the problem with that is then they haven't actually done it in their rookie season to kick things off. There's quite a few names, like, for example, Trey McBride, that I was very excited about last year. But you mentioned Laporta there, and he is somebody who looks very athletic, has had a couple of really good seasons at Iowa. You mentioned a couple of other names there, the likes of Darnell Washington. Um Luke Musgrave could potentially be in a, a list in that kind of category. How are you feeling about the group as a whole? And then, obviously, we've mentioned kind of the the top two guys. Have you a favorite tight end to be targeting in this group? Yeah, it, it's a really good tight end class. And I guess, like, let, let's let say what that means, which is that, like, normally we get a couple a guys really who... Yeah, yeah. Normally it's all terrible. Normally get a couple guys who are like feeling, you know, okay about. Yeah. And no depth. Yeah, and then there's no depth. Um, This class I think is a little bit similar to last year's class in that there's depth, but you know, and in last year's class, by the end of the year, we're seeing Daniel Bellinger and Jelani Woods and Trey McBride finally come on a bit um, at the very end. Uh, Chikakonkwo. Greg Dulcich uh, emerged a little bit earlier. Uh, so there was actually quite a few tight ends who, you know, got on the radar by the end of last season. This strikes me as, as somewhat of, of a similar class, but just like better. Like it's kind of like, you know, we're kind of hoping for these guys to do the same thing, but the overall profiles are just a little bit better across the board. Like Mayer, I think, is a much stronger type of bet than Dulcich or McBride were at the top of last year's class. Um, and then it's it's just really deep. Like, yeah, Musgrave. I don't like Musgrave as much as uh, Washington and Kincaid and, and Laporta. Uh, to me, Laporta is the most fun of the overall class because he's priced. He's priced as, you know, he's free, basically. And I think that yards after catch profile plus really strong athleticism makes him super interesting. One thing, just as a quick aside, like I, I've noticed kind of as the dynasty market seems to be like, obsessed with guys who have the most athleticism and like kind of just like shrug at guys who are like just like you know 95th percentile yeah Yeah, it's like why do you like this guy's a 99th oh this guy's only 95th don't care like (laughs) that's not how this works like this guy's 95th and he's got awesome receiving skills we should be excited that's good it's not we don't have to like only be you know oh 9.9 brass score for darnell washington laporta uh 9.25 9.25 don't care that's literally what's happening he this guy's off like he's he's awesome he's at the very high end of, of athleticism for the tight end position Sam laporta and yeah he's not the ultra freak that darnell washington is um or even that luke musgrave is but he's still very athletic and and the receiving skills i think look look really good for him uh but you know musgrave is super athletic he's he's flashed as a receiver tucker craft is very athletic uh, he's got some some hype as kind of an early day two type of pick. Zach Kuntz is super athletic. He's probably a, a day two pick now. Uh, 
so I mean, yeah, it's just a really, really deep class. If you've got some third round picks this year, I think you're going to be spending them at tight end, probably spending your second round picks on running backs, your third round picks on tight ends. Uh, you probably, to Sean's point, want to maybe prioritize a wide receiver in the first round if you can. That was all very good information, Pat. I did get distracted at the one point when you were talking about the 99th percentile, and I felt like you were sending out all of these vibes to people that like don't double count Anthony Richardson's combine. Well, now, hang on a second. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't mean about Anthony Richardson. Um, Yeah, well, I guess that would be kind of uh, a little bit of a pushback on on Richardson, too. Although, God, it is tough when he's the most athletic quarterback of all time, isn't it? It's like it's hard not to imagine him just uh, just out there doing kind of like like Josh Allen, but but faster. And then um, when he drops back to pass, uh, he also just runs. (laughs) <laughs> it's, you know, it's uh yeah richardson i've actually gone a little bit i he is tough like i could see taking um bryce young or cj stroud for me more bryce young i i think i'm meaningfully higher on bryce young than cj stroud uh but like if you're one thing i was thinking through is like if you're in a dynasty league and you would rather have trevor lawrence than uh justin fields right now in that particular dynasty league, then you probably should draft Bryce Young over Anthony Richardson, if that makes sense. Like if you're in the type of league that with the trade market and the scoring settings dictate that you're better off having that safety of a Trevor Lawrence over Justin Fields, then that is the type of league where you probably shouldn't make the gamble on an Anthony Richardson and instead go for the safer pick in, in Bryce Young. But um, I still think I'm going to have Richardson ranked over Young in my ranks. What if... Justin Fields loses his right arm next week. And you're in a league where it's like Trevor Lawrence versus Justin Fields. Would you need to prefer Justin Fields still? <laughs> Wait, are you saying Fields with no arms is better than Anthony Richardson? Well, it's just about the just, same. Just a left I arm. think that's what he's uh, hinted at here. He's basically saying an armless Russian quarterback. <laughs> well, well, the thing, so one thing with Richardson is that he was a pretty good deep ball thrower. If you look at his big time deep throws per attempt, he's in the same mix as Young and Stroud there. So I actually would kind of push back on the idea that like he offers nothing as a passer and that he literally doesn't need to have any arms. That's not fair. <laughs> Sean says he doesn't need to have arms and that's ridiculous. Uh, I think I think he does have some passing skill. I think the thing he does poorly, which is miss throws, he does very, very poorly. He, the accuracy is horrendous. And there's no denying that. But one thing I'm working on this uh, quarterback article that I'll have out very soon. And I go through like, hey, you know what's really great uh, in addition to mobility is being able to hit deep passes. And you look at Cam Newton's career, Cam Newton, his basically his like fantasy uh, superstardom ended pretty quickly after this 2016 late late in that season. He injured his shoulder. And his ability to throw down field really dried up. And even, you know, with the Patriots, when he's rushing for all these touchdowns, he was never really an elite fantasy quarterback because he wasn't able to pair the mobility with downfield passing. And I think Richardson has the upside to pair it with downfield passing. I don't think he has the upside to ever pair it with like consistent move the chains type of passing. But it's like, just don't do that bad enough to get benched. That's my thing with Richardson is just stay on the field, dude. Stay on the field. Hit, hit some downfield passes and run a bunch 
And I think we're getting the potential for elite fantasy production. Now, if you're in the type of league where you're never going to be able to trade off that, maybe you, maybe you just, you know, because maybe it's not going to be the, the long-term thing. Maybe three, four years in, he does get benched. They're, they're sick of him not being able to operate the offense. But uh, I think for the first couple of years of his career, they're going to, the team's going to draft him highly and give him a chance. And that ability to hit downfield passes, I think, is maybe a little bit underrated as part of his profile. And it's extremely important. And even though I think it's very apples and oranges because Lamar Jackson was just a much better passer also coming out, when you think about purely from a traits perspective and not necessarily from a percentage of, of how often or how well these do, they do these things, the fact that Lamar Jackson can open the field up deep and hit on some of those big plays, not only do those score touchdowns right away from you in reality, they score touchdowns for you in fantasy, they open up the rushing game and just make it very difficult for defenses to scheme for you. I mean, if, if you can get and you know, if it's purely a matter of occasional misses underneath, I mean, we've watched drives and even games where Lamar Jackson has bounced passes in front of his receivers over and over again. Yep. And yet, yep. At the level that he plays, that's I mean, it's bad for them in that particular game. But there's no question of him getting benched or anything like that. He's a superstar. He's going to keep going with it. Well, you mentioned uh, Fields and and Jackson. So if you look at average depth of target when kept clean, the the leader is uh, of everyone that I've got since 2015 here, Anthony Richardson has the highest average depth of target uh, at 11.2. He's tied with Justin Fields. Lamar Jackson is just behind and Josh Allen is just behind. That's the top four. Then you get to Mason Rudolph, which is obviously, please God, no. And then uh, Kyler Murray. Trey Lance, Drew Locke. Uh, so it's not like you necessarily, it's not a guarantee, but like even Drew Locke, like, okay, what if he's Drew Locke, but also, but runs like Derrick Henry? Is that good or bad? Because it's probably bad over a long period of time, but it could be extremely good for stretches. Uh, and that's, I think that's what makes Anthony Richardson such a difficult evaluation because like, I don't deny that he, he could genuinely be Drew Locke with, elite rushing ability um maybe that's the best way to think of them well that seems like, like it would still be bad you, for is that NFL good or team, bad but it would be very good for you as a fantasy manager because that's not going to get benched with where he's going to get picked in the draft right so you're going right and that's like where i'm at like he's he's playing by the end of the year so you know you have to you have to factor that in in terms of like where he land like if he goes to the seahawks or the lions or something then then you really worry about taking him in best ball because he might only play like a couple games. But if he goes to some other destinations, particularly the Colts, I think he plays most of the year. And and Drew Locke, but runs like Derrick Henry, I think is going to score a lot of fantasy points. So I did derail us off the, the tight end discussion there, and we, we did get some good quarterback discussion in. But I I'm hoping for a bold prediction at the tight end position. Obviously, we want to take advantage of the depth. We want to spread out the bets a little bit. But as I was getting ready for this and, and working on uh, the prospect articles I'm going to have out on Rotoviz over the next couple of weeks, one of the things that I noticed among a ton of really positive Laporta notes is that in the box score scout, his three closest comps were Greg Dulcich, who you loved last year, Trey McBride, who we loved last year, and Aaron Hernandez which, I mean, if you forget all of the other things about it, I mean, Aaron Hernandez came in and lit the world on fire. That's definitely very encouraging. Yeah, I think one thing 
with the so Dulcich, I don't think he's all that similar stylistically to, um, but it's sort of a similar thing where I like tight ends where there's like a thing that they do really well as a receiver. Um, for Dulcich is that he was able to win downfield, like he was a seam stretcher. Now apparently, uh, Sean Payton isn't as excited about that as <laughs> tough evaluation. Coaching tough evaluation. Tough evaluation, yeah. So it might be a one and done for Dulcich, but he really stretched that seam in his rookie year, and we love that. Uh, and and as I've mentioned with Laporta, it's the yards after catch uh, stuff with him. It's you know, can you do something um, that's sort of special for a tight end, which isn't that high of a bar because it's a it's a position where there's a lot of guys who really don't do all that much well as a receiver. I would love to see him go to, you know, one of these Shanahan style systems where they prioritize, you know, yards after catch type of plays. Maybe he needs to get his blocking up a little bit uh, to really be valued in that type of system. But uh, yeah, I think he, I think he's pretty fun. I don't get too carried away. I still think Mayer is definitely like a better bet. Um, And, and Mayer maybe is the guy we should be talking about here because if he was just a little bit more athletic, I think we'd be discussing him like rounds and rounds earlier in these drafts. I and mean, he was so productive in college. And so, and he, I think he is sufficiently athletic, but now post combine, we're going, you know, he's not like a Kyle Pitts type guy where he's just this elite athlete, you know, wide receiver who gets tight end eligibility. No, he's like a tight end, but he, I think he could be like a Zach Ertz type, you know, where he is kind of producing like a big slot receiver. It's just not going to be like quite as easy to sell yourself on the mega, mega upside. But we're getting a price on Marin best ball that's absurdly lower than we were paying for Kyle Pitts. And and from a production standpoint, it doesn't it, the bet is not very some very different. Uh, do, you, do you have any pushback on that, Sean? Like, I, again, the athleticism is different, but the from a production standpoint, like the discount from Pitts to mayor uh during their rookie seasons is huge no no pushback and i think that it's tricky too because i'm having to continually kind of move him up in my rookie draft ranks which i mean you're always a little bit reluctant to do because i mean you just made the case from scoring points right away and he could you do feel like he's going to score a lot of points for his career when you make that even if it's like a 108 to 112 pick i mean you do want to have the upside that that player is going to come in and help your team right away you want the potential that the player hits so big that you could turn around and trade them for three pieces that are individually worth as much as the 108 was you know before those big games happened and so you lose a little bit of that upside i think when you make the tight end bet and i think just there is continued risk going forward that he's going to look so pedestrian as he puts up numbers yeah. <laughs> that people are yeah. going to be like ah, i just you know i don't want to spend my su- sunday like rooting for mayor highlights because but mark andrews wasn't particularly athletic and that, that's a guy who comes to mind it's kind of maybe the the upside obviously that that's you know, and, and Ertz is a huge upside comp as well. But I think like no one looks at Mark Andrews and is like, oh, he's not athletic. You know, he plays tight end. So, yeah, it doesn't like jump off the screen in the same way as like the most athletic receivers. But he's a smooth route runner. To me, what jumps off about Mark Andrews is like this guy's big and he's looks like a receiver. That's crazy. That's like it's actually 
it is kind of a lower bar at tight end than I think we sometimes think. Like you don't have to be the world's very best athlete. You have to be able to do something. It's very hard to do, which is block a defensive end and then go run a route like a wide receiver. Like that, to be able to do both. Yeah. And then catch the ball. Yeah. Yeah. So to be able to do all those things and then be able to move upfield after the fact, like if you can do all those things, well, you're basically, you're like one of three people on earth. So, you know, there's a chance that mayor is one of those guys. And, and I actually think if, if he is one of those guys, we're, we're going to, the four, seven is not going to be top of mind. I think it's really tough when you're on the clock and your options are mayor and Charbonnet and flowers. Because, I mean, the tight end is the best prospect of those guys, but maybe not the most fun pick. Pat, we didn't, we couldn't quite get you there. So just, I mean, can we have a few say Sam Laporta is not the tight end one, and then just in post production we'll take out the not and use that. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Michael Mayer is the tight end one. <laughs> you can't, you can't edit that, can you? I'll try. <laughs> I do think Laporta, Laporta to me is is the most fun selection of of this tight end class, um, and I think you know I was worried early on that he was going to be a day three pick, but it doesn't seem like that. It seems like he's going to be a second or third round pick, and I do think in tight at tight end like the NFL is drafting these guys for different things. Like if Darnell Washington's a first round pick and Laporta's a third round pick that's not going to make a huge difference in terms of how I evaluate them as fantasy selections going forward. You know, I think they're both, they both have very good chances of getting on the field. And when they do get on the field, the port is more likely to be out there to run a route and Washington's going to be out there playing, you know, extra right tackle. So uh, I, I don't mind Washington. I don't mean to, to uh, be super bearish on Washington. He's, he's a big man who can catch touchdowns, but, uh, but I think Laporta is, is pretty fun and just kind of making the point that, Draft capital at tight end is is not as important because there's multiple reasons why you might want to select a tight end as a, as an NFL team. We obviously talked running backs on the show that came out on Monday. If you haven't heard that one already, I would recommend you head back and check that out. And if you haven't heard Sean on with Pat on the legendary Upside podcast last week, lots more NFL draft conversations between the two guys over there. Pat, you did mention that we are closing in towards the end of a special offer you have over at legendaryupside.com i believe you said the nfl drafts gonna be the cutoff point here yeah after the nfl draft i'm gonna reduce the trial from 30 days to seven so this will be trial but uh yeah if you want to uh, get the 30-day trial now which will take you through you know i don't know how many how many best ball mania drafts you're gonna be able to get into that first window but you know you'll have best ball rankings for free for that first chunk uh if you get the 30-day trial now um, I'm also offering a $30 discount off your first year. If you go to legendaryupside.com slash early, you can get that. Honestly, if you do the free trial uh, for a yearly, I will also add it on the back end. So, uh, you, you can, you can get both if you'd rather do that. Uh, <laughs> but, but yeah, that's, uh, that's what we got going on. Best ball rankings, drop and post draft, uh, all the rookie content, uh, on the site ahead of the draft. Uh, yeah, where it's, uh, it's kind of crazy how how loaded things are as we sit here in April, but yeah, we, uh, yeah it feels we, like this should be the kind of downtime. Best ball has taken away all classifications of downtime in fantasy football. It is uh, there's no longer such thing. Too there's also there's no reason to do the trial for legendary upside. You just want to subscribe, but if you do the trial, you will definitely subscribe. So make sure you get over there. 
and and I will note there's I I'm putting out free content as well. So if you just want to go and throw your email in there and get on the free list, um, I mentioned that there's the big kind of free preview on a number of posts, but I'm also doing some posts just for free. So I had an article on best ball, basically talking about kind of correlating your lineup beyond just using the quarterback stacking, like basically building in um, additional team stacks that don't include a quarterback. And that article was completely free. So then uh, there will be more free articles like that as well. Check that out in the show notes. I'll link to the website. You can also follow Pat on Twitter at Pat Corain. I believe we didn't mention it. <coughs> so I believe we didn't mention it on this episode, but Pat also won BBM tree this past year. So somebody you may want to get some best ball advice for before the uh, 2023 season, but that is going to wrap us up for this edition of road of his overtime. Thank you once again to Pat for jumping on. Of course, you can check out all of Sean Siegel's work up on rotaviz.com. And if you want, you can follow me on Twitter at Overtime Ireland. Until we are back on Friday with another show, myself and Sean, have a good one. Thank you for listening to Overtime on Rotoviz Radio. Please rate and review the Rotoviz Radio podcast on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. You can contact us via email at rotovizradio at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter at Rotoviz Radio. And remember, you can always support the pod by subscribing to Rotoviz with a discount through the Rotoviz Radio homepage, rotoviz.com forward slash podcast. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.